Welcome to the Design Unmuted podcast. I am your host, Divine, a landscape designer, artist, public speaker, and social critic. Design Unmuted is a podcast that centers BIPOC voices and experiences, engaging at the intersection of social justice and critical perspectives in landscape architecture, design, and art. I started this podcast to create a platform to uplift marginalized voices and share stories that inspire you to expand your mind and heart. As an advocate for social justice, I engage in conversations on the many ways design and art can help us build equitable and beautiful communities. If you want to learn more and support this vision, make sure to subscribe and follow me on my website at rameshadesign.com slash designunmuted and on Instagram at designunmuted. You can find all the different ways to support the podcast at rameshadesign.com slash support. For speaking engagements and design and art project collaborations, you can also reach out on my website. Feel free to listen to all the previous episodes on all the major podcast streaming apps. Thank you for tuning in today. The production of this episode is supported by Anova Furnishings, who is on a mission to enhance landscapes and strengthen communities. They offer a variety of high-quality, functional outdoor site furniture products and styles to fit your project and budget. You can find out more at anovafurnishings.com, where you can shop online or search for a local rep. All right. Hi, everybody. I'm so happy to be here for another episode of Design Unmuted. I am joined by uh, Patricia Algara and Jose de Jesus Leal. And I'm very, very excited. I really hope that I pronounced all of your names correctly. If I didn't, please uh, uh, correct me and I will try to do better. Um, thank you both for taking the time. I appreciate um, that you have chosen to spend uh, your Friday with me uh, here. So to give you a little bit of an intro, I'm going to invite you both to introduce yourselves. But um, just to open it up, Patricia is principal and co-founder of Base Landscape Architecture and founder of Honey in the Heart. Patricia is also a shamanic counselor, a frame drummer, a landscape architect, a bee priestess. And I cannot wait to um, hear more about all the things that Patricia does. And um, Jose Leal is principal and director of uh, the Native Nation Building Studio at MIG. And Jose has a passion for truth-telling and considers humor to be good medicine. So I'm looking forward to some good jokes um, during our conversation today. Um, uh, his Mexican and indigenous heritage has led him uh, to do work for indigenous landscape architecture and celebrating uh, how diverse indigenous people have adapted to their natural environment. Um, now, this is just a little bit of info that I found about yourselves uh, out there in the internet world. I want to invite you both to introduce yourselves and um, tell us something that isn't found on the internet. Tell us something about yourself that we can't find out there. Uh, thank you, Divine, for having us. Uh, I'll start, Jose, if you don't mind. And I am super excited to be joining you today. This is, um, I'm a big fan of the, your work. Mm -hmm. And I feel honored to be invited to be also sharing this conversation today with Jose and to be a part of this um, 
network of really thought leaders that you have invited on this on this conversations. One thing that you may not find in the internet, and I'm, as you're speaking about, like I'm like, okay, what what would I like people to know? And I wear these two bracelets that you know people can't see it, but it's um, there. They represent the indigenous people, the Wichol people from the my homeland in San Luis Potosí, and then the other one represents the Amazonian tribe in um, in Iquitos. And my husband's Peruvian, I'm Mexican. And so I like to represent both of our lineages. I feel like it gives me like this Wonder Woman, you know, superpower and also represents the grandfather and the grandmother, strong medicines of the Americas that I feel like I always want to be mindful and appreciate as my my teachers and my guides and and all the work that I do. But I like people to know that. I just like, you know, I really like to honor those lineages and and the plants that represents the lands that we're from. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, well, Divine, thank you for, for having us here. Um, as you said, my name is Jose Jesus Leal. I think for me, um, just things that people probably don't know, um, I always say I'm from outer space because growing up, everybody treated me like an illegal alien. Um, but I'm really first generation born here in the U.S. Uh, my parents are from a little town near Calvillo, Oaxcalientes, which is more central Mexico. Um, like Patricia, I also have ancestry. I mean, my ancestry is Spanish, French, and Nahua. And my indigenous ancestry is one that I've for a long time been trying to reconnect. Um, when you look at just colonizations and its impacts on kind of my ancestors, uh, my great-grandfather was the last to speak his language. Um, he died when my grandma was really young. Um, she went through a lot of simulation, mostly through the Catholic Church. Um, so I think there's a lot of things that she was forced to forget, but in many ways, a lot of things she was still remembers. And a lot of that was just medicinal plant use. Um, so growing up, my grandmother was basically our, our doctor a lot of times um, with, with a lot of remedies that she would create for us. But I guess something, I don't know. I, I don't know what people don't know about me. Probably nothing, because I feel I've always been under the radar most of the time, both from a Personally, I don't really like being in the spotlight, but lately I've been stepping more into the spotlight because I feel as a a visitor on lands that aren't ancestral to me and just through family connections, I've kind of grown to really understand the need to bring the indigenous voices to the table. So I think for me, I, I mean, people don't know this probably, but I grew up down in Southern California within many native tribal reservations. I'm so connected to some um, the San Pascual Band of Mission Indians, because I have my sister married a member from that tribe. Um, my niece and nephew are from there. They're Kumiai. Um, and my parents retired and they're living on the reservation next to my sister. So once again, I'm not native to this portion of the Americas, um, but I do have much respect for the people and the causes and the struggles that have been impacting them in many ways as they impacted my people back in, in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. Thank you for your, both for sharing for sharing this. Um, I guess I wanted to start by uh, asking you both, uh, how did your path lead you into landscape architecture? Because it is such an obscure uh, kind of profession where most people don't know what it is, right? So I'm always curious to know um, what, what part of your life experience and what happened and how did you find yourself here? Yeah, you can go first, Patricia. Um, so you want to start, yeah. or I can go. Okay. Um, yeah, you know it's it's really interesting, Divine, because I come from a family of architects. 
my father, my grandfather, my great grandfather were all architects. And so I, I knew architecture. This is in Mexico. And when I, when I look back, they were also landscape architects because they were designing plazas. Like my father's thesis is about a schoolyard um, and a school building. So I'm like, you know, they were also landscape architects, but it wasn't called that. It was very precisely architecture. And it was also, for me growing up, I also saw it as the men's world, right? This is like what the men in the family did and no space for, for me to even consider that. Like growing up in Mexico, it was extremely, you know, macho culture where women's place is in the kitchen and pregnant. Um, so it wasn't something that I ever considered. And then when I went to school, I went, I did my undergraduate. I was focused more in, in women's rights because of that, right? Because of growing with this very harsh um, conditioning of, of machismo in Mexico, I, I felt like I needed to like figure out how to step out of that. And also with, um, I was focused on immigrant rights. I did my, my undergraduate was in Latin American studies and I was really focused on on immigrant rights, on women, especially women who, you know, have to to doubly be damaged because of their condition as immigrant and then having an abuser. Anyway, that led me to work in a women's rights organization, the Global Fund for Women in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And as I started working there, I was I was the person that received all the proposals from all over the world. I got proposals written in every possible language, handwritten from, you know, everywhere in the world and it was amazing and but I got to read all these proposals and what I kept seeing was this environmental condition that was affecting women's lives their health their children's health their their land and and I just kept thinking like you know what what else can we do other than send money to these people this women because this was you know it, it usually was a catalyst that made them come together become more political become organized become educated but I kept thinking, like, what is causing this environmental conditions that is affecting them? Mm-hmm. So I was thinking about, like, how can we change this? Who does this? Who creates these spaces? Um, so I was at the, um, I remember clearly, I was at the Encuentro Feminista in Latin America in Co- Costa Rica. This was, I don't know, 2000, maybe 2005 or something like that, a long time ago. And and I was talking to this very predominant um, feminist from from Chile and she said, you know what we need? We need architects. We need to get like all the architects on a boat and take them from city to city and figure out how to design cities for women so they're safe for women. Because the architects are not on this, they're not on the table. They're not here. Yeah, yeah. Where are they? And then it just like clicked to me like, oh, architecture. Yes. And then, but I was like, it's not quite architects because they design buildings, but who designed the cities? Who designs the space right. outside the streets where women walk and how to make this safe? And and so then I started thinking about it and and a friend of mine from undergraduate, he's like, Oh, you you know, you should be a landscape architect. I'm like, I've never heard of this. What what is this <laughs> yeah. landscape architecture? He's like, you know, I'll bring you over so you can meet my stepdad. He's a landscape architect and you can ask him about it. I had no idea wow. who his stepdad was, what landscape architecture was. And all of a sudden I find myself having dinner with Peter Walker. Oh uh, I'm like, oh Pete, you you, know, you design gardens? What do you do? <laughs> <laughs> nice and he I had no idea you know I was just totally clueless and he's like why don't you come to the office and you know I'll, I'll show you what we do and I went to his office I was blown away I was like oh my gosh this is incredible this is beyond what I could have imagined landscape architecture to be and it really got me interested in looking 
at the profession. That's kind of how I I got I stumbled into it. <laughs> nice. That's a that's a really good story. You know, like it's really coming from a place that is uh, socially rooted. You know, justice oriented, and that's super exciting. Um, I, th- Jose, I think for me, it's just you? growing up and hearing all the stories and seeing all the pictures of these great, I don't know, temples, right? I mean, I think for me now, looking upon it, I feel like I'm trying to reclaim something that has always been part of our our culture, right? Um, but a little bit deeper, right? The, the deeper meanings of our spaces, everything from the sacred ceremonial spaces to just spaces of gathering. Um, but growing up, I mean, my parents were, my dad always worked in the fields, um, his father had, you know, fields in Mexico. So I kind of grew up in an area where that's what we did. We worked in the fields, everything from picking oranges, avocados to working in the fields with my cousins mm-hmm. and uncles. Um, you know, I, th- I think I've picked so many different things, nopales, corn, tomatoes, beans, squash. I mean, name it. I probably picked it as a kid. And I just did that for, you know, from when I was about seven to mm-hmm. 18. Um, and I think for me, like I said, I, I didn't really know landscape architecture per se but I knew the concept of what I wanted to do and I think when I was about like maybe 10 Mm -hmm. um, my dad's boss was building a new house and I was out there helping my dad digging holes and I saw this guy just he had his big set of drawings and he was pointing everywhere and I'm like dad who is that it's like I don't know go ask him so I went to go ask him and I asked him what do you do Mm -hmm. and he's like I'm a landscape architect you know And and I looked at my hands and I looked at my dad and I looked at him and I'm like I want to be you when I grow up, you know, and he kind of like pushed me aside a little bit and said, I don't think Mm so. Um, And I went back and you had to talk my dad down from going over there and beating him up. But the, the whole idea I think kind of fueled more motivation in me. It's like, well, wait a minute, why can't I be a landscape architect? Right. And at that age, I kind of pieced it together. Mm -hmm. Um, And then just when I started getting older, um, just started researching schools that taught it. And um, I was a bit of a troublemaker growing up. So I, I kind of needed to be away from my friends, I think. Um, so I decided to go, you know, travel mm-hmm. up North California. It was far enough that I could still steal a car and go visit my parents if I needed to, but also allowed me not to be in in that <laughs> that environment that I kind of grew up in. Um, but, but I think, yeah, I think for me, it really started mm-hmm. with just all these great stories I heard of all the temples and, you know, everywhere from like Peru up to the Pueblos of New Mexico. I mean, there was such great stuff out there that, just kind of inspired me Mm -hmm. because I felt we've been doing Mm -hmm. this for 10,000 years. And part of it was also just the landscape didn't speak of us, right? It was totally void of us um, making this even more invisible. And I think partially as I got older in the profession, that's kind of my next was to really look at how do we stop that? How do we bring more visibility to the invisible and the people who have really shaped the land that we live on? Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. I, you know, um, when you're speaking today on my, on my run, I was, I was thinking about the conversation we're going to have today. And for some reason, like a thought came into my mind. I was like, I've got, uh, my family members are really good at making fun of people. Like if you don't have thick skin, you cannot survive in there. And I'm thinking, trying to explain to them what I do they would just literally look at me and actually laugh in my face. They're like, landscape, what? You can't, you can't, can you grow anything? <laughs> They'll ask me, can you grow? Have you ever tended anything? Like, have you ever taken care of the land? And then I, that's what led me to think is like, what is a landscape architect really? And it's such a, 
it's such a fleeting concept to me in a sense that I'm I'm wondering for both of you because you you run your own practices uh studios how do you ensure that you can like your own authenticity like how do you bring your full self into your practices if that's something that you're interested in doing you want to go first Patricia or me yeah yeah I think for me the yeah it's the same question to be honest when I told my mom what I was in her head she thought I was a landscape contractor right she thought I was out there building this stuff and for the longest time even mm-hmm. like like anytime I presented myself, people thought, oh, he's Mexican. He must be a contractor, right? They didn't understand that, that no, dude, I'm not a contractor. I'm an architect. Um, but I think for me, once again, it's like the term itself. I mean, when I look at landscape architecture and both of you probably have seen these images of kind of my anger towards Olmsted, but I think landscape architecture in America is really just continuation of manifest destiny, right? Um, but for me, the term, I use landscape architecture so people understand what that is, but I think for me, what what I try to bring into this is really about being that connector of worlds, right? I feel like our role as true landscape architects is how do we connect to the different worlds that exist within us, right? You got the humans, and Patricia talks about the bees, you got the insects, you got the four-legged, you got the fish. You have all these worlds that kind of intersect, that create what we live in. And for a long time, I felt landscape architecture was just about human space. Right. And almost like taking over of that space. So that's, I think for me, like mm-hmm. to be authentic, I just always think about my role, right. As not a creator, but mm-hmm. a mediator, right. Someone who tries to bring these worlds together in place. Um, and then adding on top of that, just a concept of, of how that balance really creates the spirit, right. The spirit of the place, the spirit of the people, the animals. So I think it's really relooking at mm-hmm. how I define the term landscape architecture. And just remind myself on a daily basis what mm-hmm. I'm really trying to do. And it's not about leaving a mark. And I have a good colleague, I mean, Nate Willing, who um, you met, Divine, but, you know, he made a, the idea of, you know, we're not designing on the land, we're designing for the land, right? So lately, I've been really thinking about that, that thought that he planted right. in my head is yeah. how am I designing for the land and for the animals and for the water? And Right, right. Yeah, a complete reframing of how we understand our role within the whole cosmic <laughs> relations. Um, Patricia, what about you? Yeah, I, I mean, I resonate a lot with what Jose just said. I mean, I think also being Mexican, there's always this um, idea that like, oh yeah, you do landscaping. Of course, you're Mexican. You drive this truck. I get it to transport mm-hmm. your tools. And I get that a lot, even even with my family. I mean, even close friends of mine, I feel like they don't really understand when I tell them. They're like, oh, yeah, the summer's your high season, right? You're out there planting. I'm like, no, actually, I work in an office. <laughs> I'm in front of the computer all day. Uh, but um, so there's, there's that. I feel like there's just that disconnect. And there's also that very strong, um, uh, uh, there's a word for this, um, preconceived idea that you know Mexicans do landscaping so Mm -hmm. that's what I do um but I'm kind of like over it now you know it's like whatever you could you can imagine that I do whatever whatever makes you happy yes sure uh but I I do um I do try to think of of the profession as something I mean it's so broad there's so much in in this profession that we can do and I think that 
especially right now, we are at a place where we need to start thinking of the solutions. Like, how mm -hmm. are we going to be dealing with this really apocalyptic times that we're living in, mm -hmm. like the post-insect apocalypse? Like, how are we going to survive? How do we create really healthy habitat? How do we deal with climate change? How do we deal with access to food? Um, and and really thinking of those ideas and those solutions uh, for the long term. Um, mm -hmm. And so that's that's one thing when I try to think of what I do and try to stay inspired. It's like I may not have all the answers, but at least I feel like I'm working on on leaving a little tiny like Band-Aid on the earth. Mm -hmm. You know, I may not, I'm not going to be able to fix it all, but at least I feel like I want it when I die, you know, when I come to the end of my time here, I want to feel like I did what I could to mm -hmm. try to make a positive impact mm -hmm. and be in good relationship with Pachamama and, and feel like I, I contributed mm -hmm. to a greater being to, you know, with the gardens that we create, getting children to have that opportunity to, you know, harvest a fresh berry that just ripen on the sunshine and the flavor of that and experience yeah. that um yeah. like that's a you know that should be a human right that should be yeah. a right that all individuals have and so many so many kids today have have no idea what that tastes like what that experience is and and by having that opportunity to connect to to seeing um a butterfly a bee a hummingbird come to your garden and mm -hmm. have like that awe of like, wow, this is this is magical, right? This is a magical being that's coming to visit our space and is doing the incredible magical pollination and yeah. that creates our food. And like this is this is magical. <laughs> this yeah. Yeah. The transformation of plants taking on light, like they're light beings, they're transforming light, they're transforming sunlight into their bodies so that we can be fed. And this mm -hmm. is like it's so beautiful, right? But we just see it in this very scientific forms of like, well, this is, this is metamorphosis. This is, the, mm -hmm. <laughs> but there's so much more to it. This is really magic. And so I try to remember that in my practice and, and try to keep that alive within our, our space and our practice and that these places that we're creating have the opportunity to have that, that impact and that learning for children or, you know, for any being that mm -hmm. comes in contact with it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I really, yeah, I love that both of you, you're, you know, you're speaking about relationships as being uh, kind of like key and core of the your practices and um, honoring the spirit of place. And I am, I know that for both of you, spirituality is something that um, is an important part of your own practice as well. And I would I'm wondering if, if you can speak a little bit how kind of like the role that it takes on and how um, how spirituality uh, informs and inspires you and and your practice. Sure, I'll, I'll be happy, and I I feel like it's an important part of this conversation, right? How how important uh, that connection with spirit is for how we can relate to spaces and how we relate to to one another to everything right it's all through having that connection with with spirit with mm -hmm. with with the understanding that even though i may be physically represented in this um body right now but this is this is just temporary like we're mm -hmm. actually all interconnected and we're all part of this higher higher being like we're all one right and 
and that I had this um, understanding, like a very direct understanding of this. Um, when I, ha I have endometriosis, I had to have multiple surgeries now to remove ovarian cysts. And through the process of this, I, you know, started studying because this is a condition that has, it, it impacts your reproductive system and there's no medical cure for it. Um, mm -hmm. So through this process of like how, you know, what can I do to heal this? Mm -hmm. I was um, stung by my bees a lot and, and I had this initiation into a whole different understanding of the bee world and understanding that the, the medicine, the bee venom of the bees actually healed me. I no longer had pain. I was like, I mean, it was a bad case of endometriosis where I was going to the emergency room, getting morphine, like the pain, it was impossible to live. And so after that, I have no pain. And so I'm forever grateful for bees and their healing and what they did to me. And when I started learning more about endometriosis and what causes it, it's the exposure to pesticides. It's the exposure to plastics. It's the exposure to, you know, all of these contaminants, which we all are exposed to it, right? In mm -hmm. different grades. But me growing up in Mexico in the 80s, there was DDT, there was plastics being burned, like all of this environmental um, impacts have mm -hmm caused me this endometriosis, which has no, no, you know, medical cure. And when I looked at bees healing me, and then also looking at what bees, how they're dying, because of their exposure to pesticides, because of how they're being treated in the agricultural mass production of food, and transported and being put into like a really a place of slavery, and, and abuse, Mm -hmm. And if you think about the bees, like the bees are the reproductive system of the earth. They are mm -hmm. the ones that make life possible, that mm -hmm. make our food possible. And so it just clicked to me, like what I am experiencing is the same thing that bees are experiencing. My reproductive system not working is the same as the bees hives dying. Like we are one, we are the same. Mm -hmm. And the pain that I'm feeling is the pain the bees are feeling. And so that really like wow. <laughs> abandoned in me as like, Oh, wow. Yes, we are one. And I cannot disconnect myself from bees or from any other being for that matter. Right. Mm -hmm. Because this is also impacting the earth at large and all of us. And so that's why I have a tattoo in my back. So I never forget it. Like in, in the nonprofit with Honey in the Heart that we have a societal base, it's fully dedicated to that. It's, it's for me, it's like, don't forget, like mm -hmm. we're doing this, even though it's painful and there's so much so much harshness to us. I also want to remember that, you know, it's, it has to come from that honey that the bees produce and the honey in the heart of like, if we can speak about these things from a place of love and kindness and connection mm -hmm. and touch each other's heart, then that honey will flow and we can be connected and not continue to have the separation, right? Or the, mm -hmm. or the anger, but like, how can we, in this short, beautiful time on earth that we have, how can we be good stewards of yeah. of that connection with spirit and that connection with with the the larger oneness that we are yeah wow what an incredible story that wow yes. thank you for sharing that <laughs> <laughs> i am forever grateful to bees because they have given me so much and that's why you know my whole practice is dedicated to creating healthy habitat for them mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's incredible. You know, it's that reciprocity, right? It's like the the earth, you know, the land, the waters, they give us so much. 
they give us so much. And then what are we giving back? You know, it's such a big question. Uh, Jose, what about you? How does spirituality um, show up in your practice? I think it's, it's what key role does it have? divine in, in what I try to do. I mean, I've always been very spiritual. I think it's just, I mean, part of it is because it was beat into mm-hmm. us. I, I was raised Catholic, <laughs> um, like Roman Catholic. Um, and through through mm-hmm. the years, it's been kind of that conflict, right? Like thinking about, you know, my, my different ancestries and how uh, those all kind of come into play. But I've kind of put, put that to peace. But um, yeah, kind of like, like Patricia said, I mean, my grandma was really good with medicinal plants. I remember her at times sending me out. She'd give me a description and I'd go out looking mm-hmm. for the plant to bring it back and just the healing power of it and her conversations with us about just, you know, mm-hmm. how they're we're all interconnected, right? That in some ways they need us and we need them. Mm-hmm. Um, and just that, that connection to them and to our ancestors, right? I mean, there's a lot of conversations that I have still have to this day with, with my ancestors. Um, and at times I'm almost speaking to my future ancestors, right? Who are not here with me, but who have maybe mm-hmm. a glimpse of what future holds and what we can do as people to better that. So, um, I think for me, it's personally when when I work, I always start with the prayer and end with the prayer, right? As a reminder of kind of what I'm mm-hmm. I'm here to do um, from a personal and professional perspective. Um, but mm-hmm. I think for me, landscape architecture really evolved into being um, a journey of self discovery for me um, from a spiritual sense. I feel that I I have a, mm-hmm. a wounded soul, and through the work that I do, I'm trying to mend that. Um, so once again, I, I think it's it's part of that. Mm-hmm, and when mm-hmm. it comes to the work itself, I mean, it's recognition that the spirit world is part of, once again, the world that we live in. Um, so through the work that we do is how do we start mm-hmm. reconnecting to that? And and everybody has, you know, their their way of understanding how that is created, right? Some believe that you bring balance and that balance creates that connection to the spirit world, whether it's balance within yourself, balance within the nature the worlds we're in. Um, so somehow throughout my work, I, I, I try to bring that balance mm-hmm. in what we do, whether it's balance, like I said, in, in the work, uniting the animals, plants, humans, or um, just balance in the working relationships. Mm-hmm. I mean, that could be as powerful at times when you're working with groups who have a lot of distrust towards each other um, for various reasons. So how do you bring that balance in the mm-hmm. relationship so that uh, we're all gaining something? And once again, kind of the spiritual nature of of how all that manifests itself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so important. And I, I want to pick up on um, this idea of the balance within yourself, right? Because I think within our profession, that's something that um, a lot of us struggle with because of the workloads, um, the lack of support that is always experienced, especially by uh, people of color in the industry. And just um, not being healthy. And for me, I I think I was mentioning earlier that I was finding myself that I, I wasn't doing work from a good place because I wasn't sleeping, I wasn't eating right, I wasn't, you know, it was just like... I will, it was coming from a place of chaos in a way. <laughs> and I'm wondering if you have any kind of insights or tips for 
anyone who is trying to do work and honor kind of like their spiritual being and the spiritual beings in like the rest of the universe, how to, I guess, calibrate themselves so that that balance within and can be maintained so that the balance with the, the rest of the universe can be maintained if you have Yeah, I think tips. for me, oh, sorry, Patricia, do you want to go? Yeah, for, for me, divide no, is go, my go, kind of share some of my political views, but I was raised on eight hours of work, eight hours a day, and eight hours for whatever the fuck we want to do, right? I mean, that was basically the, the typical translation mm-hmm. from from Spanish to English, but, you know, we, we have... You know, when, when we look at ourselves, it's it's the spirit, mind, and us, right? I always refer to it as a holy trinity. Um, like I said, I was raised Catholic, but in the eighth grade, I actually told the priest that I knew that I had cracked the holy trinity, and I knew the secrets behind it. And I mean, that didn't really ring well. Um, but I think mm-hmm. it's it's really looking at ourselves. I mean, there's always going to be. I think sometimes our our passions drive us to put in the effort that at times I think exceeds what our bodies can really take. Um, but at times also we need to understand we are working in a capitalist society. So sometimes um, in some ways we're exploited. Right. Um, and for me, I think mm-hmm. I was also raised as a workaholic. I mean, my mom and dad always told me you're Mexican. You got to work harder than your white counterpart to make it in this country. Um, and it was just embedded in me. So I think part of it was me being a workaholic um, and part of me just being driven by passion. And when you combine those two, I feel like at times you get exploited for it, right? Like someone realizes that you're willing to put in that 16 hour day. So they just ask for it and they keep on giving you that. Um, I think kind of what saved me from continuing that was a couple of years ago, I was diagnosed with diabetes type two. Um, and my whole family has it. I knew it was coming. I was just always like saying, Oh, I'm, I'm going to be the lucky one not to get it. Um, but a couple of years ago, I got really sick and I had to go to the doctor and he's like, dude, if you weren't mm-hmm. as healthy coming into this, you'd probably be dead by now. Um, so it really started forcing me to think about the other things I had to do. And I think for me, part of it, it's like I was always working in the fields that once I started this professional job, I don't think I ever was really working that hard anymore. So I think part of me was figuring out what I need to do from a physical perspective to become healthy. Um and the other part was like what I need to do mm-hmm. from a family perspective and a personal perspective to also like deal with my mental health. So I would just say, yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's work's always going to be there. Um, but we just need to be conscious that if we're not mentally well or physically well, then we really can't do what we're put here to do. Um, so I think when I combine all that together, it just made me realize mm-hmm. that I had to slow down and really be more selective on who I focus on and what I focus on. Um, but it could be really easy, um, especially when you're working like Patricia, you met Peter Walker. I mean, you know, as a young professional, those were the names that at some point someone put in my head, right? Peter Walker, all these names that you kind of grew up mm-hmm. as a professional being like, I want to be that, you know, and then you slowly start realizing what that means, yeah. right? And you slowly start realizing what you have to give up to be that. And then you start reconsidering like, well, this is who I am, mm-hmm. right? How do I stay who I am? Um, and still contribute that purpose that I feel was put in to do. So yeah, I don't know if that answered the question, but I think it's really just understanding that we we have to take care of families, we have to k- take care of ourselves, and of course we have to take care of our job. And 
you kind of need to make sure that you balance all that out and split it out equally so that you're not avoiding dealing with any of those. <laughs> Another brief message from our episode sponsor. Anova Furnishings is grateful to work closely with landscape architects and designers in enhancing landscapes and strengthening communities. They are proud to continuously support the industry through partnerships with necessary platforms such as Design Unmuted and through their grant programs for students and emerging professionals of the industry. Anova recognizes the significant role landscape architecture plays in our future and are thrilled to be a part of building the future of the profession together. The Labash and Larry 2023 grant programs open in this month in October. So for more information, visit anovafurnishings.com and follow them on Instagram at anovafurnishings. Thank you, Anova, for the support of this episode. Yeah, so many of those things that you said, Jose, resonated with me so, so much, right? Like just the being Mexican and having to show up and, and extra being women and having to show up extra, mm-hmm. having an accent and having to make up for that and having to like triple check how I spell things and not miss words. And like really, you know, always questioning myself, like, Oh, am I, am I doing this right? Am I doing enough? And it's, mm-hmm. what else can I do? And it's, it's challenging, but I think that one of the things you said, Jose, I, I totally agree with you is like you start and you end with a prayer. And how can we do that? You know, um, also like you, Jose, I'm very much a, um, I grew up Catholic, Catholic school my whole life in Mexico, central Mexico. So, you know, like super in that framework of mine. Um, at the same time, my father left the Catholic church and, um, became a Pentecostal Christian. So I also got that very extreme, you know, speaking in tongues and the whole um, other experience of very intense religion. And at the same time, my mother practiced Santeria at home, kind of been hidden because we were in Mexico, so couldn't really talk about it or show it, but it was happening. And I was fortunate that I was able also to find the, like, have access to the traditional shamanism in central Mexico and have that experience. So I had all these different religions around me and the conflict of like, none of them really felt right or the Mm -hmm. right thing. And I felt like, I felt like the, when I felt the most connection with God, with spirit is when I was out in nature, Mm -hmm. when I would just sit in my garden and, and look at the grass and look at all the little creatures. That's when I was like, oh, I'm alive. Like, holy, I'm alive. I'm part of this network. I'm part of this life. I'm part of this, you know, earth. Like, mm-hmm. when I put my hands on the earth, that's when I felt the most connection to God. So, to me, I felt like, yeah, there's all these religions. And who am I to say which one's right or which one's wrong or, you know, which one's the right one? But I feel like this is what's real for me is when I put my hands on the earth and I feel connected to earth. and mm-hmm. Through that, God, goddess, spirit, universe, whatever you may want to call it. So that's one thing that I I try to, you know, not get too far away from. It's like as long as I can put my hands on the earth Mm -hmm. and feel the garden and like do some gardening, I will feel spirit. As long Mm -hmm. as when I sit in the hive and I can be with the bees, like that's my the best meditation because the whole world just 
shuts down and I'm mm-hmm. there 100% present mm-hmm. with the bees mm-hmm. and with their hum and, you know, in that beautiful space of like, wow, like nothing else matters right now. It's just this. Mm-hmm. And and another beautiful practice that I've been trying to to be connected and, and make it a part of my daily practice is in the morning as I'm showering, like singing to them water right like mm-hmm. thank you water thank you for this beautiful cleansing that you're giving me thank you for this life thank you for for this connection thank you for having water like fresh drinking water it's such a privilege yeah, yeah. And if we can sing to it you know just take a moment and I say prayer but you know it can be anything it could just be a song it could just be a simple acknowledgement like thank you thank you mm-hmm. for this beautiful present and another thing, because, because, you know, running a business, a small business and everything, it is hard and it is difficult. You're saying divine mm-hmm. to find the time to have your, your daily practices when the whole day goes by and you're like, well, I'm still working and I haven't <laughs> finished. I haven't even gotten to have my to-do list. <laughs> yeah. And so I have made it a very strong practice of like my sleep time is this is my time. And if I can have a mindful practice on my dream, space this is like my one time for me like no one else can get in here mm-hmm. it's me and my connection to to spirit to my ancestors so I really use that time to be my practice so I before going to bed I seed my dream like I'm working on this can you help me some answers with this mm-hmm. can we can you make it fun tonight like I really mm-hmm. like to fly or you know whatever experience I'm I'm struggling with or need help I use that space to mm-hmm. be my practice and then try to be very disciplined in the morning to remember the dream and write it down. Mm-hmm. And like, this is my me time. Like, no one mm-hmm. else can, can get mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. and then start the day. And I do feel like it, it's, it's so rich, like our dream space. And we all have that capacity, right? No matter where we are, yeah. we have that capacity to go into our dream space and have that connection with spirit and with getting answers. Like this yeah. is, place to connect with with plants you know how what should I do with this project what's mm-hmm. the right approach for this client how all those things I feel like I get a lot of answers through dreams yeah that's amazing uh a few actually last year I did this journaling exercise where it asks you to um kind of like you draw a circle and you divide up divided up by 24 like little pies and then so you're supposed to kind of write down like how you spend your time each hour and so once you block off the seven to eight hours of sleep, and then I would block off the seven to eight hours of work and the two hours of commuting. And then I was like, right, I don't have a whole lot of time left. But then I was like, what is happening in this, during this sleeping time? Like, this is a very kind of like time that I always used to think about almost like as like a, like that time, like, like, like a write-off. And after I did that exercise, I realized, actually, you know, this is where the magic happens. But I'm so glad to hear the way you speak about it, because I have never been able to know how to actually tap into that, really. Like, I think setting an intention is such a powerful thing to do. Um, I was just trying to, like, clean up my, my routine before going to sleep. But to actually be intentional about entering that space is so powerful. Um, and I guess I want to, I like, as, as we're talking about kind of like more of a, like at a personal level, the spirituality at a personal level, for me, I also see, uh, this practice, the, the practice of landscape architecture 
as inherently being a spiritual practice. It's a, it's a, it's, it is a spiritual practice if done right. Right. And, and so one of the struggles that I'm having with and something that I've recently come to realize is that when we speak about decolonization, that really what we need to talk about is to talk about to reinstate the significance of spirituality as a definer or as a driver within our works. Um, and I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on how, as an industry or as a, as a profession, how we could do that? How do we start having these conversations? How do we start moving towards that direction? I mean, given that this is, you think that what I'm saying is in alignment with you. Oh, absolutely. Yes. I'm definitely in alignment with that. And I, I thought a lot about this. Um, I, you know, I always used to think about um, collectively, like, why don't we design spaces for grieving? Like there's mm-hmm. so much grieving that needs to happen. And in order to heal, like we need to grieve, we need to grieve together. And there, there's constant, right? Like mass shootings. I mean, so many things that we mm-hmm. don't have a space to come together and grieve. And if we can start thinking of like, you know, we're going to design a place for, for grieving. We're going to design a place that this is where you come and look at the, the moon rising and the the full moon this is where we honor the the seasons this is where we honor the equinox and the eclipse and this were the things that were you know if you look at um ancient mayas aztecs uh, the the incas like all of this mm-hmm. um american native american indian people that's what they were designing for they were designing for having that connection to the larger Mm-hmm. aspects of the sky mm-hmm. aspects of the seasons aspect of our connection of how we how we harvest grow plant our food like those seasons and that connection we've lost all of that we don't mm-hmm. have that right now right we design a plaza and it's designed on like i don't know view corridors to the grid of the city and <laughs> there's no connection whatsoever as to where do i stand to watch the sunrise mm-hmm. And I feel like if we can start to bring that back into the practice and like really make it a point of like, how how is this place going to be a place of of healing, of allowing us to connect, mm-hmm. not just with each other as humans, but to connect to the larger um, built environment, to the, the skies, to the waters. How do we give space back to water again, to float mm-hmm. through our cities, to sing her song and, you know, take the rivers out of being in, in tubes underground that we don't mm-hmm. even see them. And it's like, get them out of here as fast as you can. Instead of that, like, no, we, we are missing the song of water in our cities and how important that is. If we start to honor that again, not just in like the terminology of like, Oh, let's beautify it so that the price of property around this creek can be more expensive but like no really about honoring the water like we need to hear the song of the stream because that feeds our soul because that Mm -hmm. connects us because that makes us human again Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah, i think i mentioned before divine reclaiming what's ours right i think patricia said you know for in our answer these spaces were ceremonial they were communal right and i think you know i always think about what makes something sacred 
And part of it's the, the memories that are formed there, right? The memories that we share together as a group of people. Um, and I think, I don't know, maybe for me thinking about just what I've learned about Native Americans and outline of their ceremonies, not access to ceremonial spaces. I think the disconnection to spirituality was pur- like on purpose, right? Because they understand the power that it brings to individuals like us. And I think that's one reason I think diversifying any profession is important because it brings people like us who bring that need, right? To bring that spirit back into place. Um, I think I told you this before, but for me, when I first started my profession, everything I did was hand drafting, right? Which was fun. I mean, there was, everybody knew certain things took a certain time. Um, But my last year as an intern, we started doing things on the computer, and I was pretty computer savvy, right? But at the same time, like, it's a technology that I didn't understand that at times I didn't even know how to fix. So through my mm-hmm. practice, I started creating my own technology gods, right? Like, I didn't have to pray to the corn god for food anymore, mm-hmm. but I knew if that printer didn't print my deadline, I wasn't getting paid, right? So I, I developed a whole series of technology gods mm-hmm. that were based on very serious prayers that I would give sometimes to the computer, to the plotter, to things that I really didn't understand, but I knew I needed to have it work that day for me to finish my deadline and get paid so I can go buy my corn, right? So I can go make my tacos. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt like like there's mm-hmm. that answer of, of ceremony, right? Like we said before, pray before, pray after. But even the profession itself is that ceremonial space that we create. And I think a lot of it, I don't know. A lot of my coworkers here sometimes ask me, how do we start? And I always say, well, we're all indigenous to some place, unless you're Elon Musk, of course, and you're from Mars. But um, for a lot of us, it's like, I, I encourage everybody to go back and look at your roots, look at where you come from, look at that, that connection you had to those lands, to those places, to try to help build that understanding of what some of us are going through here in the Americas, right? Um, but I think it's important for us to really bring that back. I mean, I think, like I said, it was taken away on purpose, um, but there's no longer an option, right? If, if we're going to continue moving forward and future generations having better places to be than what we have, um, we really need to understand that that spiritual connection is, mm-hmm. is critical to all that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, even for myself, as uh, I was as I was listening to both of you speak, I realized that landscape architecture actually allowed me to understand my own ancestry better because um, this idea of sterilizing, like, I think this is what the problem is. It's like this, the, the profession has been sterilized, right? Like you remove the spirit out of it so you can turn it into some commercial enterprise, right? Um, and then like, you know, trying like, connecting back to like, oh, first of all, what is landscape architecture? So the issue of language as well, right? Like what words exist in my language? How do we talk about it? No, we didn't talk about it in this way because conceptually we did not conceive of these things as these separate things that you do, you know? We, in my culture, we speak about coming from the trees. So we're people of the trees. So there's, at least from, from, from a certain time, then we got colonized and Christianity came and then we, we, we all know how the story goes. But when you look at those stories, then you start, like I started to understand myself at such a deeper level. And for me, I'm really just 
now far more interested <laughs> in in that aspect of the practice more so as a decolonial practice too um as a way to kind of empower empower not only empower ourselves but empower the land empower the waters empower the animals just like an empowerment that is an equalizer and hopefully restores these balances and these relationships um I'm looking at the time now. Wow, this went by so quick. Um, and I want to be respectful of your time. And usually what I do is I open up the floor so that you are able to ask me a question of your choosing. So if you have a question for me, um, I'll take a question from both of you. This has gone by so fast. <laughs> I feel like there's a lot more I want to say, but yeah, yeah this this is a beautiful conversation and I hope it's just the beginning and we can continue to have more. I love that you have created this podcast. I am so very much appreciative that, that this, you created the space because these conversations are so important for, for all of us to have and for all of us to, to hear and to know that we're not alone thinking these things. Um, and, and that, you know, we can, we can create more of this space and start to think of how we, how we change this, how we decolonize this profession and how we start thinking of language differently. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, we're like thinking, even in Spanish, right? Like how do we think of landscape architecture more of like from the tierra, from tierra, you know, like mm -hmm. that connection to earth. Mm -hmm. um, I, I have a lot of questions for you. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think one of the one, um, one of the ones I'd like to know is, you know, what, in, in your ideal case scenario, when you think about this this podcast and this thing that you have created, what what's the the best case the best case scenario of what comes out of this? What what feeds your soul with doing this? Like you know, how how do you envision it? Um, I mean, this it's already like feeding my soul. Like I'm a conversationalist. I don't even know if that's a real world, but like just really connecting to people and talking to people brings me an immense amount of joy, you know, and um, really just pushing people to think beyond what is just given to us, especially when it's problematic and being able to have conversations around that, you know, and like connecting um, and then, and then sharing. Cause I think that relationship building is, is key it's community building. And um, so for me in that sense, being able to even do it, like the fact that people are willing to speak to me, I'm like, wow, okay. <laughs> That's it's so incredible. So the, the big vision for me would be for it to really grow as a, as a platform and a community where, especially for someone like myself, I, I felt so alone and isolated as I was going through school and like even within the profession. And so what I tried to do is bring diverse voices. And, and so I'm hoping that this is a place that people who are feeling a bit like alone can also go to, to hear uh, stories that maybe will resonate with them or to just even expand their minds, like just think a little bit outside of the box and also, I feel like that honors the oral traditions of my ancestors is to sit and, and talk. The big goal, like the big vision would be, I would love to be able to host these conversations in person and 
and share some tea and just just ha- like have a better time and space for the relationship building. That's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Oh, there is that better? Ooh, I can't hear you, Jose. Yeah, I just want to start off by just thanking you for having me on. Yes. Um, I I've seen the list of people you've had on, so I feel honored, um, and really humbled by by the invitation oh. to be here and talk today. My my random stories that I share, but um, I mean, not many questions right now. I know I'll probably start generating a big list, but I guess for me, the main question is, how can we help with this movement <laughs> that you've started? Because I I really feel I totally relate about feeling like we were alone. Um, like I, I think Patricia, you were like one of the second, third Mexicans to ever work at MIG. So when we first met, it's like, oh my God, it's another Mexican here, right? <laughs> um, yeah. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Time. <laughs> so exciting. Yeah, so, so just, like, whoa, there's another but one. <laughs> understanding that we're, you know, we're a bigger community in a bigger world. And how do we just start building these relationships that really cross boundaries, borders, you know, even the racial boundaries that sometimes we set ourselves as people. Um, yeah. So my question would be, how do we, how can I continue to support mm-hmm. this movement that you have? And what advice do you give for me to start building more connections so we can interconnect everybody? I mean, even uh, this is already helping, right? Like the fact that you are both taking your time and being vulnerable and sharing your stories. And also actually not, let me back up the fact that you're, doing the work that you're doing so that for me, I really, there was a time when I was like, I, I don't know about this thing. Like this is, was not resonating. And then like slowly I'm meeting people who are I'm like, Oh wait, wait a minute. No, 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 no. I was just looking in the wrong corner. So to have that um, source of energy and inspiration, I just want to kind of put my hands up to you both already just for providing that and I think in terms of how to help is, well, Patricia can uh, let us go work for her. <laughs> I would love that. I would love that. <laughs> um, JK, but not JK. Um, you know, I think that just doing the work that you're doing and just being open to collaborations, which we're already working towards, like looking at how do we work together? How do we exchange knowledge? Um I really, I really value that. And yeah, share the podcast with people. Uh, let's, let's grow, let's grow the community. I always tell people, I'm like, the amount of work it takes to do this is, uh, wow. So for me, I, I would love the help to put it out there, to, to build that community, just so all the work that is being put is being kind of honored and hopefully received. And hopefully that the impact that I'm I'm hoping this can have can happen because it's touching many people. Great. Yeah, for sure. We'll spread it out to the world and all <laughs> our social media and, you know, let people know about it for sure. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. And if you know people who might be able to provide some sponsorships to be able to like, because I'm looking to get some help for the for the f- production and stuff. So, you know, those contract like the what are the suppliers and Mm-hmm. people who are in alignment with what we talk about, which is not that many, which is that's what makes it difficult. Uh, uh, yeah. Connections, 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 really. Um, well, thank you both for your time. I really, really appreciate um, that you've spent your life's energy with me. And um, I appreciate the work that you do. Now we just need to figure out when we can all hang out in person. 
Um, yeah, that's it. And if you have any kind of last parting words you would like to say, I know Patricia, I said there are so many more things you wanted to say. So please take, take some time. I mean, like I have time. I'm just mindful of your time. Well, maybe, yeah, I'll be brief, but uh, I do want to share, um, and, and uh, you know, because we were speaking about this, the, the words, right, and, mm -hmm. and how we have to think of what, what landscape architecture means, and I brought up the, this um, idea of the word tierra in Spanish, just thinking about that. Um, we had, I organized the first Latin American gathering of, of landscape architects, Latinx, Latine, whatever you want to call it. Um, at the TAs lay here in San Francisco. And it it was kind of shocking to me that this is like, wow, this is the first one ever. How can this be? This oh, wow. is 2022. Um, but I was very inspired by Black Land and how they came together and formed and have these gatherings. And I was like, where, well, where, donde esta mi gente? No, how, how do we do it? And I felt, mm -hmm. well, I guess I got to do it. Uh, and it was very beautiful to bring the Latinx community together of landscape architects. And in that conversation, we had um, Linda Chamorro and Jason Prado from um, Tierra Media Project that mm -hmm. got the LAF fellowship. And, and that's their whole project, right? Like rethinking the word tierra mm -hmm. and how we connect to that. So I'm excited because I'm going to be, I'm going to see Linda uh, March 7th in, in Miami. She's going to put an exhibit about this project oh, and really trying to bring more more awareness and connect with other um, Latinx, Latine community out there and, and really, um, yeah, like creating that bond, right? Like how, because like Jose said, you know, when we met each other, we were so excited. It's like, oh my gosh, there's another Mexican. There aren't that many of us out there. And how do we, through this this media, through these networks, how do we start to let others see themselves in the profession by us being being present and be, being vocal and sharing different stories? And so I think that's why this is so important that you're doing this, right? Because you are creating a space for for other people to be able to see themselves and feel just like you said right like you were you can look at a different part of the profession and see yourselves and see mm -hmm. that that there's another way of being a landscape yeah, that's architect. great patricia and, and yeah. i just want to say for me yeah. I've, I've always felt i'm a student right and there's a lot for me to learn but seeing the work that you've been doing patricia and what black land has done um my colleague nate willing and i are trying to start indigenous land um and we were hopeful that we could get it together by the next ASLA conference, which is going to be, I think, Minneapolis, correct? Um, you know, we felt that was the birthplace of the American Indian yeah. movement and the change that brought. We felt why wouldn't it be a good opportunity for us to showcase indigenous land? Because if we feel, you know, Latinos are limited in the profession, I mean, when you look at the percentage of Native people in the professions, even less, um, so yeah, we just felt we needed to create that space mm. um, that kind of brought voice to once again what some might consider the invisible race, right? Native Americans and Indigenous people. So um, yeah, we're just hopeful that we can learn more, and I'll probably be talking to you, Patricia, and others at Black Land on how to get started, how to set it up right, so that we can create that space for for Native people to come and join. That's great, Jose. Yeah, I'm so glad you're doing that, and I'll be happy to help.
Yeah, that is so important. It's going to be so important for organizing too for like for indigenous sovereignty, right? Like having people who can navigate this system to to design back sovereignty onto the lands to um be able, you know, I think landscape architecture can really be a, an ally in terms of a tool for land back too. So this is this is great. I mean, I don't know that I can help, but if I can, I'm really happy to support as well. Maybe make some connections with yeah, some folks out here. Yeah. Well, on that note, thank you so, so, so much. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Design Unmuted podcast. Please share this with someone who you think might find this valuable. Don't forget to subscribe and support at rameshadesign.com slash designunmuted. You can follow me on Instagram at Design Unmuted to stay up to date with all the things I'm working on.